Good morning, friends. Um, it's always wonderful to be at College Church. Uh, so much of our hearts are here um, in this place with so many of you. Um, we love the fact that our lives keep connecting over the years through ministry and through business and through granddaughters. Um, and it's wonderful to be back, and particularly wonderful to be here today on this Fall Missions Festival, looking together at a topic that means so much to me personally, has really been a shaping, dynamic factor in my life, particularly now uh, as I uh, have passed the 60 mark and wonder what God has in store uh, for this phase of my life, but frankly, what God has in store for my sons and their wives and our granddaughters, and how this theme of making connections, making connections among the various parts of our lives for the sake of gospel impact, uh, how that might bear fruit uh, for us, for you, both as a church and as individuals. You know, uh, College Church's gospel mission legacy is really, I think, unparalleled in all the world. I don't know of another church with such a long-standing, faithful, consistent commitment to God's global uh, mission. Hundreds and hundreds of college church missionaries and others in in non-traditional roles sent out to be a part of communities around the world, to to work, to serve, to raise their families, to love those around them, and to bless uh, through the gospel. Millions and millions and millions of dollars over the decades invested in that enterprise. Um, We are standing here at this moment in history, really, because of that legacy. We're able to talk about where we are now and where the world is going and what the opportunities are for gospel mission because of that legacy. And uh, we don't know exactly how it's going to look in the next decades, but it's going to look in many important respects exactly like it has looked up to now. Because with all of the changes that are going on in the world, we, and there are plenty, um, we don't intend to throw out the old ways. We don't intend to lose hold of the biblical gospel convictions that are ours on the authority of God, God's Word and have been passed down to us by generations of faithful people who have gone before. At the same time, we do want to recognize that there are remarkable changes going on in the world around us. And, and, and to think about how our principled convictions might take new forms and present new opportunities for people like all of us uh, during the next decades. Some people have used the word disruption to talk about so much of what's happening in the world. Traditional ways of doing things, traditional methodology, sort of coming apart, sort of being deconstructed, but making room for a creative innovation and new approaches in education, in healthcare, in business enterprise, fueled by demographic change, growth in parts of the world, in population, economic power shifts into different parts of the world, technology in, um, innovation and penetration, as we just heard from Jim. Remarkable the opportunities that I had never thought about Habakkuk. Uh, as the waters cover, cover the sea or as the cloud covers the sky or something like that. Remarkable opportunity. 
religious and spiritual developments, a continuing flattening of the world so that uh, there's an immediacy of interconnection and interaction with virtually every corner of the globe. Um, And to be able to take advantage of those opportunities for the sake of the deepest convictions of our lives on the authority of Scripture. So we're blessed, I think, to be at a moment like this, in a place like this. Those who are involved in what we might call traditional missions, those who are involved in sort of hybrid kinds of enterprises, and those, as some of the people standing here, who are... who probably wouldn't be categorized as missionaries, but are doing what they're doing for the sake of the global gospel enterprise. All those, all those distinctions are sort of getting blurred these days as people think about how to bring together all the parts of their lives, the little c callings, the small c, lowercase c callings of our lives, work, family, neighborhood, all those things together under a big C calling, capital C calling, gospel call, so that everything would contribute to how we might bear witness uh, to the the Lord Jesus Christ. You've heard about this remarkable array as as Bruce quickly introduced these people. You're going to get a chance to hear more from them and, 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 and I hope prod and pry them to find out how did God start you down the path of exploring how this might look for you and and what did that look like and my prayer maybe um, too modest is that maybe if only one of you says I'd like to explore what that might mean for me actually I hope for more five ten a hundred young old college students retirees how might God be leading you to see how all these little particular pathways, particular callings, might be gathered up together for the sake of maximizing the gospel impact you could have. And not just over there. I think part of the challenge we have is that, is that even for those of us here in Wheaton or in, outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee, where I live, We tend to live these sort of dualistic, dichotomized lives. We have our work over here, and we have our ministry over here. We have our family over here, and we have our church over here. And so we struggle with a sense of of, of a unity, of an integration, of a holistic understanding of how all those parts fit together. And so what we're exploring this weekend together, this sort of making these connections for the sake of gospel impact, I believe is a message that uh, will be encouraging. It's, It's encouraging for me Uh, whether I would stay in Wheaton or go to Cambodia, how to see my life integrated, interrelated for the sake of the glory of Jesus. Um, Just as you've heard briefly from these folks, I'm just going to take a very few minutes and share with you a little bit autobiographically uh, of of things that have happened in the last 30 days of my life. And tonight, I'm going to go into more detail about some of that as we explore tonight what's the what are the practical pathways for this? The how and the what and the where. Um, in the last 30 days, I've been a part of a, the 20th anniversary of a Christian university in Jakarta, Indonesia, a university of 12,000 that operates under the motto in the largest Muslim population country in the world. The motto is true knowledge, faith in Christ, godly character. And a bold and unapologetic witness to that mission passionate pursuit of that mission in, in faculty development so that they would understand what it means to teach their discipline out of a robust, biblical, Christocentric frame of reference, a, a, a university that serves students from all faiths, 
Um, we just opened up a brand new international teachers college where we are bringing in uh, students from all over Asia to give them a, 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 an education as Christian teachers to send them back so that they can serve in their home countries, serve an explosion of Christian education in, in surprising parts of the world because populations are growing so quickly that governments can't keep up. And so Christians have the opportunity to fill that gap and to supply that need, and they are welcomed and encouraged to teach in those schools. Um, I was just recently in China at a, at a planning meeting, an early planning meeting for a, a think tank, a study center at a major Chinese university for the study of Christianity. And through that project to be able to bring evangelical scholars from across the disciplines to interact with Chinese academics, their, their peers, as Chinese academics and academic students. I was at the board meeting of a rapidly growing healthcare enterprise, the Siloam Hospitals. 18 hospitals now, by the end of 2015, it'll be 27 hospitals. In 2015, some 6 million Indonesians will walk through our doors, the doors of those hospitals. 90% uh, of them will be Muslim. And that, was, that, that, that rapidly growing enterprise, 250 million Indonesians, 6,000 inhabited islands, infrastructure problems all over the place. But a growing middle class that now is getting to the point where they're, they're able to think about health care for their children and education for their children in a way that they've never been able to think before. And to be able to supply that need and move that project forward under the brand name of Siloam the Siloam hospitals, after that beautiful story in John 9 of physical healing as a sign pointing to the spiritual healing that God gives sin sick people through his son and a logo that's a cross with a snake wrapped around it. Not the rod of Asclepius, which is the traditional symbol of medicine, which, which comes from ancient Greek pagan mythology, but a cross demonstrating that we are committed to a healthcare enterprise that's rooted and centered in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And not a, a serpent from ancient Greece, but that serpent that pictures that story from Numbers 21, that bronze serpent lifted up on the pole so that anyone who would look on that serpent would be healed and, 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 and have their lives restored. And then Jesus in John 3 says, just as the serpent was lifted up in the desert. So, as I am lifted up, those who look on me will live. Uh, and to do, again, in Indonesia, opportunities all over the place. And I could go on. Business opportunities, uh, church ministry opportunities, um, philanthropic opportunities. You've heard, you're going to hear more from these folks and more from me about that tonight. But in all those cases, what I'm trying to get across is that there is Christ-centered, gospel-driven opportunity virtually everywhere in the world, including Wheaton, for you. Regardless of the pathways of your life, regardless what your little C callings are, regardless of whether you're an IT person or an art person or a business person or a healthcare person, there are opportunities for you to begin to see how that fits in with all the rest of your life so that you might be a servant used by God for maximizing gospel impact. Um, through the message this morning, through the time we spend together tonight, that is our prayer, that a, a window might be opened for you just to begin to explore what that might look like for you. Again, it could run the spectrum from traditional missions enterprise to hybrid to non-traditional missions enterprise. 
a full, vibrant partnership of people of various gifts and various callings who would work together for the sake of the gospel in such a time as this. Well, um, um, I want us to look together. We're going to look tonight at the what and the how and and, and the where. This morning, we're going to look together at the why, the biblical why for a gospel-integrated life, the biblical why for how personal life and, and neighborhood life and professional life should be seen as part of one gospel call on our lives. And we're going to look at a passage together from 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Um, First of all, we have to say that this is a passage that Paul is writing quite autobiographically. This is Paul writing about his time with the Thessalonians. And so it's very personal, it's very individual, it's very sort of idiosyncratic in its original historic context. And so we always have to be careful about directly applying something that's, that's that contextual to our own lives. We're not apostles. We don't have Paul's calling, and yet, as we go through this framework, this three-legged stool for how Paul understands how the parts of his life fit together for the sake of gospel impact, I think we, we can begin to see together a framework for the life of every Christian, a framework that would combine speaking the gospel and loving the communities that we're a part of and working hard to put our skills and our vocations into the mix for a global gospel mission. That's the outline of First Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Speak, love, work. Listen as I read the first 12 verses of First Thessalonians 2. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, As you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. What was the framework of gospel-centered ministry for the Apostle Paul? He spoke. He loved, he worked. It's a simple outline. First, Paul spoke. Paul's great burden in those first five verses is to make clear that the centerpiece, the touchstone of what it means to live a gospel-centered life is to have the gospel at the center. The good news 
about Jesus, that God is reconciling the world to himself through his son, by his death, by his resurrection, by his reign, by his coming again in glory. That is the good news. And I think Paul understood, and we must understand, that that is a gospel that can only adequately and accurately be communicated in words. It has to be spoken. And that's why he says, I declared it to you. I spoke it to you. I'm so grateful for the history of missions and the history of ministry at College Church where the spoken word of the gospel is the centerpiece of everything we do. And we have been very concerned over the years to get the biblical gospel right. Uh, Paul, in other places, Galatians and, el- and elsewhere, really talks about how easy it is to veer away from the biblical gospel and actually begin to substitute some other gospel for the biblical gospel. Paul actually gives a summary in the last two verses of chapter 1 of that biblical gospel. This is, this is some, of the, some of the most wonderful Pauline writing in the New Testament. It is, it is as if a li- uh, the spectrum of light is shining through a prism and it's just being concentrated the, the, the density of this language. But listen to how he describes the gospel. Verses 9 and 10 of chapter 1. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. Here it is. How you turned from, to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. It's sort of in the reverse order, if you will of the way the gospel actually transforms a life, but we could spend a long time unpacking the riches of that brief description of the gospel. It's that gospel that Paul feels is the centerpiece of his life, proclaiming it. You know, it's common, more and more common these days, and it's good and it's right and it's helpful to hear people encourage Christians about using their gifts in the marketplace to serve God and others, about caring for the the, the needy and the helpless and showing love and mercy and and seeking justice and all that is right and appropriate. We probably, as Christians over the decades, haven't gotten that right. And it's good for us to hear those messages and to recover the sense of the value of all those callings, a renewed emphasis on cultural engagement and cultural impact and cultural transformation. But I think it's it's important for us to note that that's not... Paul's primary starting point. His primary starting point is the declaration, the speaking of the good news about Jesus. The gospel proclaimed is the touchstone. And there can be no such thing as a gospel-centered, gospel-integrated life without gospel proclamation at the core. And so I want to say this bluntly, but I want to hope not too bluntly. Beware of messages like Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. You can bear witness to the truth of the gospel in your life. You can let your light shine in the workplace. You can demonstrate the kind of transformation that the gospel brings about and love and serve and care in the name of Jesus. But you cannot preach the gospel without words. The gospel is proclaimed through speaking it. And I believe that this confusion about gospel proclamation is one of the grave, misleading errors of our day, particularly among the rising generation. The pendulum, pendulum, I believe, has swung way too far the other way. 
And I believe that this error is dulling the edge of true biblical gospel witness for both churches and individuals. And it's actually in this passage where Paul graciously but clearly helps us avoid that error. And we'll see it in a couple verses later on. So what's the first leg of gospel-centered life? Preach it. Speak it. Learn how to speak it, whether it's two ways to live or the Romans road. Pick one. Learn. Grow in your ability to tell others the good news. Jesus film. Magdalene, find ways for telling the, with clarity the gospel of Jesus. Be like those um, early believers in Acts 8 when they were persecuted after the stoning of Stephen. The word says, verse 4 of chapter 8 says, and they preached the word wherever they went. Now surely some of them were pastors, some of them were missionaries, but most of them probably weren't. They were people who moved Driven by persecution to other cities, they built homes, they raised families, they got jobs, they earned their living, they loved their neighbors, they built churches, and they preached the word. What a beautiful picture of Christians doing all those things and at the heart of it, clearly proclaiming the good news about Jesus. And I want to say it's a privilege for me in the involvements that I have in places like Indonesia and Cambodia and India to work alongside people and to work in enterprises where gospel proclamation is at the heart of what's happening in business enterprise, in healthcare enterprise, in education enterprise, as well as in church planting. So, first leg of a gospel-centered life, speak. Second, love, verses 6 to 8. We didn't seek glory from people. We could have made demands as apostles, but we were gentle among you, Paul says, verse 7. Like a nursing mother taking care of her children. There's a picture here of the apostle living among them sharing his life with them, intentionally spending time with them, showing hospitality and receiving hospitality, a relationship of intimacy and care. And that did not happen without effort. It did not happen without Paul putting himself into a context where those kinds of relationships could develop. Um, it's actually in, 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 we see Paul's little corrective to that, if necessary, use words error in verse 8. You see how he, how he says it? He says, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. In other words, sharing life with them, sharing love with them, as crucial as it is, is not the same as sharing the gospel. You cannot, biblically speaking, preach the gospel by loving your neighbors. Gospel proclamation and gospel-fueled love are distinct. But you can and must preach the gospel and love your neighbors, fueled by the transforming power of the gospel in your life. So that's the biblical call. Separate, distinct, or sorry, distinct, but not separated. Let's not separate them, but let's not confuse them. Let's understand the proclamation of the gospel and the flow of of our community love for one another that flows out of hearts transformed by the gospel. And I want to say what a privilege it is for me in these communities that I'm able to become a part of in these countries around the world uh, to sense that sort of brotherhood and sisterhood. I know you'd hear the same thing from the people who were on the platform earlier. 
uh, the marvelous intimacy of relationship and community and love. And I want to say, as much as I love so many of you, uh, dear friends in the U.S., it's just been a very few years uh, till now. I want to tell you, um, I love my Indonesian uh, brothers and sisters every bit as deeply as I love you. It's marvelous. And I treasure that for you, that you would be a part of communities, whether it's in Wheaton or elsewhere, where that sense of the love of Christ, the intimacy of sharing life together, would be part of the dynamic that enables you to live a gospel-centered, integrated life. So speak, love, and finally, work. Verses nine, or verse 9, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. As you know, the tradition is that Paul, who did not want to be a burden, a financial burden, he worked. Tradition has it that he was a tent maker. And he says he worked night and day. So can you imagine? Uh, as he preached, as he witnessed, there he was, sewing tents, taking them to the marketplace to sell them, to earn his living so that he would be free and the people in Thessalonica would be free from the burden of having to support him. Nothing wrong with missionary support. But the point that Paul is making here is that his work, his profession, his calling, his skill was a piece of God's gospel-integrated life as he sought to minister the gospel to the Thessalonians. That's where we get, by the way, our term tent-making. For people who make their living from their professional competencies as part of a gospel mission-centered life. And we see the crucial distinction, again, in verse 9. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. Yes, live your vocation as an act of worship before God. But don't confuse living your vocation faithfully as an act of worship with God, for God with proclaiming the gospel. They're distinct, but they're always conjoined in a gospel-integrated, gospel-centric life. Um, he, exhort, he exhorts them and challenges them, challenges them to see all of their lives, their entire manning, manner of life uh, um, uh, there in verse, actually this talks about himself in verse 10. You are witnesses and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. In other words, his whole manner of life, his speaking, his loving, his working, how all of those things were blessed by God to be holy and righteous before them. Uh, again, a privilege for me at 60 years old uh, to find pathways of professional involvements. Uh, I, I, how could I have imagined that I could be involved in business enterprise and in education and in technology and in healthcare and these things uh, in such remarkable places around the world? Um, delighting to use the gifts and experiences that God has, has granted over the years. And honestly, this weekend, just delighted to encourage you just to open up that window just a little bit and begin to think how in your life those dichotomies and those dualities between work over here and ministry over here and family life over here and neighborhood over here how we might begin to overcome and melt down those dichotomies and see all of those parts of our life as integrated, working together, supporting one another, and not just you as individuals, but 
people surrounding you who have different skills, complementary skills, how all of that might be gathered up in a world that's disrupted with creative opportunities, made smaller by technology and travel and all of that, how all of us together could be a part of a life that's framed in that three-part way, speaking the gospel, loving the communities in which God places us with a gospel-fueled love, and putting our skills and professional capabilities, whether we are supported by others or whether we earn our living ourselves, our work life, part of God's gospel purpose so that through us and through our enterprise and through our loving and through our speaking we would be a part of God's gospel purposes for the world well that is the framework uh, for Paul's gospel-centered life I think it's a useful framework for our gospel-centered life you're going to hear more from these folks I hope you'll come tonight and ask them about how that all came together for them. I'll be sharing a little bit about how that came together for me and suggesting some, some ways in which you might begin to explore. Even if you don't envision going to Cambodia, come tonight because really this message of integration, this message of the parts fitting together is really the normal Christian life. It's really how we should all be viewing the life that God calls us to. And so I encourage you to come tonight and be encouraged to hear the stories of how God is enabling that to happen among your, your brothers and sisters at College Church and in other parts of the world. There's one more thing I want to say about 1 Thessalonians before we close. And it really is kind of a key and unusual feature of Paul's letter. Every chapter of 1 Thessalonians ends with a reference to the second coming of Jesus. Every chapter. In fact, chapters three and four, or chapters four and five, have huge sections about the second coming of Jesus. And so, as Paul lays out this framework for a gospel-integrated life, he doesn't want us to do it just thinking about the present. He doesn't want us to do it just thinking about the rest of our lifetime. He wants us to do it thinking way down the road. And the fact that at the end of the age, Jesus is going to return. And you know what? Colossians says Jesus will do he will bring all things into perfect unity he is reconciling all things now and at the end of the age he will bring all things into perfect unity there will be no dichotomies in your life worship and whatever your gifts are and the crowns that you lay down before his throne and the love that you've shown families and friends, all of that will be perfectly unified in a perfectly reconciled you before the throne of God. So as we think about our lives now, let's think yes about how we can serve God with all the parts of our life and how we could participate in gospel impact. But let's also look far ahead and imagine what it will be like when all of those parts of our, our lives, which we seek to put together now, will be perfectly reconciled before the one who will bring all things into perfect unity. And well, that's the why. Speak, love, work, a gospel-centered unity around the proclamation of the gospel and a life of love that flows from the gospel and work that's demonstration of the gospel. And tonight we'll come back and get practical. How, what, where? How might there be specific pathways that you could follow, that you could encourage others to follow, 
maybe your children, maybe your grandchildren, various ways to be involved, whether you stay here in Wheaton or go to the other side of the globe. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for the gospel. Jesus Christ, crucified, dead, resurrected, reigning, coming again. Lord, he is the centerpiece. In him, all your promises are yes and amen. He is the alpha and the, and the omega. He is the author and the perfecter. He is the one in whom all of our lives are being unified by the gospel. He is the one in whom and through whom all things will be reconciled at the end of the age. So, Lord, would you just give us a glimpse of how we might more and more push toward that sense of unity among the parts of our lives, the family and neighborhood and work and church, and in our speaking and our loving and our working, we might encourage one another toward gospel impact for the glory of Christ, uh, for our own joy, and for the gospel blessing of the nations. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.